Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving. It's time to say that, right? Yeah, not not feeling so thankful. Okay, well, then maybe it'll be better by Thursday, right? You know, you're absolutely in control of how good a Thanksgiving you have. It's not dependent upon masks or how many people are in the house or the size of the turkey. It's the gratitude that fills our heart. That should be meant making that day great, right? So let's let's work on that. Absolutely. I tell you, hey, uh, let me tell you something I'm thankful for, and that is the opportunity to introduce to you today the next governor and first lady of the Commonwealth of Virginia. You guys, come on up here. Amen. So I'll, I'll take it you're thankful also. I, I tell you, I, I told Kirk he's already done one miracle. Uh, we're still in the midst of an election, and I'm already excited about the next one. I, I, I'm excited for next November. And uh, folks, you know, as I, I bring Kirk and, and Julie up here today, I, I hope you understand the sincerity with which I do this. I'm not bringing up here before you a candidate. I'm bringing up here before you a family member of this church. And um, we have, uh, we owe him our prayers, don't we? Because he's got quite a journey in front of him. Uh, they have uh, quite a journey in front of them these next 11 months. And I, I tell you, as I, I bring Kirk and Julie up, and I know m- many of you all already know this, but I, here, here's why I, I would do this. Joining in this room filled with lots and lots of people and, and even watching online are, are hundreds of people who have given so sacrificially to this church family doing the work of the gospel, doing the work of ministry, hours after hours, week after week, year after year. And counted among those many people are, are Kirk and Julie. Uh, Julie, you know, for many years led our Christmas production and has served in a variety of ministries throughout our church as, as well as Kirk here each and every week. And man, one of the favorite things that I always think about when I think of, of Kirk, because, you know, he's been a delegate for uh, almost 30 years, and um, if, if you know how that works, their busy season, is that what you call it, is January, February, and March. Is that, That's when they're in session and very busy, and I mean, he's down there 12, 14 plus hours a day. Well, that coincides with kind of a busy business time for our church. A lot of our church business is done from January to March, including our big business meeting in March. And for for years now, for me, for 18 years, I, probably every year, I have called Kirk during this very busy time and said, hey, would you be able to do this? Because there's things he has some gifts and abilities at that we need during that season. Hey, could you be here at church for that? And every single time he walks away from everything that is going on down there and comes up and serves this church family so faithfully. And uh, that's the heart and character of the person that I know and and see and just makes me so excited to be able to see him. But run as governor with Julie by his side, who definitely makes him look better. But uh, 
you know, folks, I, I said that real quickly at the beginning, but do you realize I, whatever you vote for, whatever you do, whatever you, however you af- affiliate, you understand as a member of our family, we owe him our prayers, do we not? We, we owe him our prayers in these next 11 months that I think we all know we've watched enough now. It's not a pretty 11 months that are in front of them. And uh, I, I hope as a family member, as a member of our church, regardless of what we think about an election or a governorship, we're concerned and praying for a member of our church family as they journey this road. And I thought we could uh, start that commitment to prayer right, right here and right now. So let's pray, everybody. Father, I just come before you today with Kirk and Julie, two people I count as friends, two people I love, uh, two people that we have co-labored in the Lord, co-labored in the work of the gospel, and I thank you for them and what they mean to to me and and Karen, what they mean to this church family. Uh, God, we're we're very thankful for that. And Lord, I do, uh, Lord, I come before you. And I I lay before you the next 11 months for Kirk and Julie. Lord, I pray that literally every single day they will wake up with a fresh vision, with fresh energy. Lord, I pray every day they wake up to to people around them that are going to give good and wise counsel. Lord, I pray every day they, they wake up filled with a love for each other, first and foremost, that they walk through this as one in you. And Lord, I pray that you are going to guide his paths. Lord, you told us to acknowledge you. I know they do. I know they have. And that you'll make our paths straight. And I I pray you'll make the path straight for him in these coming months. Lord, protect them. Keep them. I pray as we just sang your blessing and favor upon him and them and this candidacy, Father. And Lord, again, I use that word protect. uh, America has really turned this into kind of a brutal path. And, uh, Lord, we just pray you'll protect him from that. And uh, we thank you for their lives and how they've served you. And, Lord, I pray that as they go through this, that they'll know your peace and your presence every step of the way. And regardless of how maybe we vote, that they'll know the love and the support and encouragement of their church family every single day all the way through this, God. And we pray your blessing on on what is going to transpire here. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Absolutely. Julie. Yeah. All right. Y'all let them know you're praying for them. Absolutely. Wonderful people, and the exciting thing is they live so faithfully and consistently. I know that probably most of what I said isn't even news to y'all. You already know that. You've observed it and and watched it yourself. Well, we are today. Here we are, uh, the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But we're we're beginning our Christmas series, and I'll I'll explain why we're doing that today here in just a second. But I wanna I wanna start with an absolutely favorite. Christmas verse, and I, I think one of our favorite Christmas verses actually is not found in the New Testament, but it is found there in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6, for to you, for to you, a child has been born. To you, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulder. His name will be Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
we're going to spend the next five weeks really getting to know that verse and this child there in the manger. This verse, some 700 years before the child, before the manger, before the virgin, is introducing to us in this child. And in each of those names, those titles that we're going to unwrap and and spend so much time with, folks, we're going to find everything we need. We're going to find God's answer to 2020. We're going to find God's solution, God's answer to anything and everything going on in our lives. So I'm going to spend four weeks, one week on each of those names. Usually when we look at a verse like this, we go through all four of them real quickly and give a couple of statements and then press on. But I'm going to really try to develop each one of those names and all that's being communicated so that we know who Jesus is and what Jesus is for each of us. I've kind of joked about spending five weeks on one verse, we probably will venture out to some other verses to help understand what each of those titles mean and and what's in them. And then we'll spend one week, and that's this week today, on this whole idea of the government. The government. Well, we've thought a lot about government lately, haven't we? We're going to think about the government resting on his shoulder. So we're doing that today. Go ahead and open your Bible. I'm going to read 9-6 again, but I'm going to add verse 7 this time. Chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. And when you get there, go ahead and mark it because we're going to be going there till Christmas is over. So uh, go to your Psalms and turn right. You'll go through uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Sooner or later, you should be running into Isaiah there. Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, let me read verse 6 again and add verse 7. It says there, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Do you hear that? To you. Hear that personally. Take that as personal. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's an, if you've got your own Bible, that's an important line to underline there. An incredible thought. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, if we are, are familiar with Isaiah 9, 6, my, my guess is that you have seen that verse, read that verse more times on the front of a Christmas card <laughs> than you have opening up Isaiah. That's it's not a book we get to just a whole bunch, but you probably have seen that on the front of a Christmas card. That's a, a popular Christmas verse. But you know, folks, God didn't speak Isaiah 9, 6 to make the front of our Christmas cards. <laughs> This is a very real child that is entering a very real world that has very real viruses, very real injustices, that is dealing with very real societal and governmental challenges. It is into this world that a child has been given. And the government 
will rest on that child's shoulder. The governing, the managing of all of this, viruses and injustices and the challenges and the differences, all of that will rest on this child's shoulder. That's a lot to say about a child, isn't it? A a child born in a manger? A child born in the shadow of the Roman Empire. That, 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 is the, that is the government of really what we would call almost the world uh, at that time is the Roman Empire. And, and the Roman Empire, which if you remember world history, this is one of the, the great empires of world history. They gave us a lot of, uh, I'll say, good things. They gave us roads. Who would have thought? Let's have a road from one town to the next. Let's make it easy to travel. They, they, they gave us roads. They gave us an incredible amount of art. Uh, they give us some things on government and philosophy. There's certainly some good things that come out of the Roman Empire. And, and you do have to stop and think about those good things. Because it is a violent, wicked, and harsh empire. You could talk about many of the things that made Rome that, but one is that Rome had a very low view of human life. It meant nothing to them to snuff out a life that probably had a part in what is one of the lowest life expectancies we've seen in an empire. If if you were born and and lived in the Roman Empire, you could expect to live about 40 years. That doesn't sound like very many, does it? Especially if you're sitting on like 41, 42 right now. Can you imagine that? You've only, I mean, at at 20, you're you're having your midlife crisis. You're, You're halfway there, only 40 years of, of life expectancy in the, in the Roman Empire. It, it was a very harsh world. And this is the world that heaven sent its child. And, and of course, the, the, the Roman Empire is, is the big government. If we come down to a local level, and I don't mean local in a sense of small, but, but, but where Jesus was actually born, we're talking about Judah, Judea, and we're talk, talking about Herod the Great, the great, because this guy knew how to build. I mean, you still today, most of what you go to see in and around Jerusalem and around Israel, a lot of it, Herod built. He was a great builder. But the dude was nuts. I mean, he was crazy, crazy. He was crazy insane about protecting and holding on to his throne, to his rulership. And anybody that he found to be a threat, he just, he killed him. He strangled him. He, he burned him. He fed him to animals. He stoned him. Uh, he threw him off buildings. I mean, it's like he woke up and thought, how can I kill somebody today? I mean, that, that, that's how he, that, that's how he lived. He killed people about every way imaginable except crucifixion. He never crucified anybody because that humiliating, excruciating way to die belonged to Rome. And even crazy Herod the Great knew his limits. And you know, I call him crazy. You know, one of the most quoted statements about Herod the Great is it's better to be his pig than to be his wife or child because he killed his wife and children. He killed anything that was a threat to him He'd kill him. So can you imagine, now that you got a little bit of understanding of Herod, 
what it means to him when these dignitaries from afar come into his kingdom and come wandering into his throne room and say, hey, good news. Can you, can you tell us where the new king has been born? Guess what? He didn't take that as good news. He became instantly so insanely jealous of that thought and idea just to up the odds, just to make sure that he had killed the right child. He sent his soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every child, every male child under the age of two. Let's just increase the odds that I've killed the right one. That's the kind of person Herod the Great is. Now, one might wonder, I mean, look at look at my age, look at this baby's age. When this child becomes king, I'm, I'm probably not even going to be around here. Why would he care about a baby? Because he's insanely jealous of his throne. And, you know, he's not just ignorant of what's happening here, of, of what these guys are talking about. Herod knew the scriptures. Herod, Herod knew the prophecies. He knew the scholars. Now, they just have one question, where? Can, can you tell us where to find this child? I mean, clearly your whole country will be celebrating this. We want to we get in on that worship. We want to get in on that celebration. Where do, do we go? And so Herod goes to the, to the scholars and say, hey, fill me in on some of the details. I know I've heard this before. And again, just one question, where? But I would imagine they're going to come back to and say, hey, here's what, here's what we know about this child. And at least five things they would have said. A great star is going to rise when this child is born. Check. The baby will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, there's the answer to our question. We need to run down to Bethlehem and see what's going on down there. In the line of David. Now, oddly enough, of, of all of those five things, number three doesn't stand out as any kind of miracle. If you're born in Bethlehem, you are more than likely in the line of David because that's his hometown. That's where, you know, how that's our family is from there. So many of the people in Bethlehem would have been in the line of David. But that's not just the one thing that this child fulfilled. It's all of these things and many more. Powerful men will travel from afar to worship him. Okay, that's not normal. Being born in Bethlehem, if you're in the line of David, that wouldn't be too too extraordinary. But number four, that would be pretty extraordinary, and we can check that one off. And then lastly, the child will come forth from a virgin. Now, obviously, Herod can't, can't verify that, can't validate that right there at that moment. But don't you think he's looking at this list and thinking, wow, something really big is happening here. Now, now stop and think about that. Something really big is is happening here. I mean, I don't know that you have to be a believer. I don't know that you have to be a Christian. If I'm a wicked sinner, I think out of my selfishness, I might be saying, hey, wait a minute. It looks like God might be getting ready to do something really big. It looks like God is really moving and working in my kingdom, in my time. I think I'd be asking, how do I get out in front of this parade? How, how do I look like I'm a, I'm a part of this and, and I'll get some kind of credit for it. But nope, <laughs> that's not Herod. Sends the soldiers down there to kill, to murder, to murder. Why? Because life is not held in value. That is the culture. That's the world that heaven sent its son. Now let's, let's rise back up from, from the local government and go back to Rome 
for just a moment and, and what's ruling in the world. I, I want to kind of place us in a context here of what Jesus is coming into. Uh, you, you remember the name Julius Caesar, right? World history, ninth grade. Some of us, that was like a year ago, maybe doing it virtually right now. For some of us, it was a little more than a year ago we were in ninth grade. But world history, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar is probably one of the greatest emperors of the Roman Empire, wildly popular. Uh, he conquered his enemies and he rewarded the citizens. It was said he was so popular, he disbanded his guard when he went out into the city of Rome to go out to dinner, to go out to entertain, to go out and spend an evening. He didn't need his guard. He had no enemies. Everybody loved him. He could safely go out on his own and expect nothing but applause. That's the world that Julius Caesar was in. He had grown the empire basically to what you and I would call Europe and the Middle East. He, he had all of that, that covered and, and everything was running well and doing well. He's popular. He's powerful. He's more popular and more powerful. He's getting even more popular and more powerful. And guess what? All of a sudden, the challenge is not his enemies. It's his friends. And those that felt, I'm assuming they believe they're operating from a motive of concern for Rome, love of, of Rome, and they see their friend Julius getting so much power and so much popularity that out of about 900 senators, about 60 of them get together and decide we've, we've got to kill them. And folks, this is politics just like we watch, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is one party going after their own party leader. And we get that famous line, et tu, Brute. His friends stab him to death. Every one, one stab at least for all 60. And they all stabbed him more than once. His friends are the ones that, that ended up killing him. Not only do we have in, in Julius Caesar conspiracy and corruption and all that, but wait, wait, let throw in a good affair, right? We need some sex in this. Julius Caesar gives us one of world history's great political affairs. He had an affair with Cleopatra. And that relationship, the impact of that affair, not only had a big impact on the world scene at that time, but even after he died, there was still things happening because of the affair that Julius had had with Cleopatra. So after they had uh, killed him, the Senate, remember, it's only 60. There, there's still hundreds of other senators that, that strongly supported him. They declare him to be God, which I find kind of interesting timing. Once we find out that he bleeds like the rest of us and dies like the rest of us, then they declare him to be God. But they, they declared Julius to be God. And so his son, Octavian, was more than happy to take on the title, Son of God. As a matter of fact, there's a, a coin minted in 38 BC that on one side says, Divine Julius, and on the other side says, Divine Son. So the idea of a, a God and the Son of God, this was actually in kind of a pagan way, kind of floating around out there in the world. 
Well, this new son of God, Octavian, who will later become known as somebody we now know from Scripture, Caesar Augustus. Octavian is Caesar Augustus. That's the Caesar Augustus that calls for a census that is going to have Mary and Joseph travel from Nazareth, or, uh, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Well, Caesar Augustus uh, moves Rome away from its government more and more to a tyranny. He, is a, he, he becomes more and more a cruel dictator each and every year. And his philosophy of leadership is ferocity. Be ferocious and be violent. If, if you have a problem, strip them, flog them, and nail them to a cross. Problem solved. That's what he's taught his son, his, uh, his stepson who would follow him, Tiberius. If you got a problem, strip them, flog them, nail them to a cross. If they're big, if they're popular, if they have a huge following, or if they're small and insignificant, nobody even knows who they are, like even a, a Jewish carpenter, let's say. Strip them, flog them, and nail them to a cross. Folks, I I give these kind of little tidbits, little snapshots of history to remind us that Jesus isn't entering a fairy tale. I know that our Christmas cards all paint this picture of the most peaceful, serene, beautiful moment there on the night of Christmas and the star and the manger. It looks so wonderful, And, and it is on a Christmas card. But, but the world that Jesus entered is a real world. And, and, and just like what we would see today, man, there is politics and there is power and, and conspiracy and immorality and there is suffering and, and injustices and there is, there is dying. That is the world that he entered. And the conversations around those dinner tables throughout the Roman Empire, throughout Judea, are no different than the conversations around your dinner table and my dinner table. Man, I just want to live. I just want to make a living. I want to to raise a family. And the world is so unfair. I mean, what would be more unfair than, than for the government, than for an individual to be able to walk into your home, kill your one-year-old son, Walk out, and you know you can't do a thing. There's absolutely nothing that you can do. That's the world that heaven sent its son. That's the world that heaven gave this child to you and to me. Oh, that world, (laughs) they wanted a new government. I am confident Every dinner table in Judea wanted a new government. Judea was known throughout the Roman Empire as the place of uprisings. You think of that entire Roman Empire, and they had the most problems in Judah. Why? Because they wanted a new government. And God showed up and said, I've got one. Now, let's think about this government for a while. Don't, don't think, okay, is it, is it communist or democratic socialist or democracy or is it a tyranny or fat? What, what is, don't think those words. Don't think Republican or Democrat. Don't think conservative or liberal. Kind of clean your mind of all those words and ideas right now. And here's probably the simplest way I can help you think about the government. 
Who was your favorite teacher in school or is your favorite teacher in school? Do you have one in mind? How about coach? Do you have a favorite coach? Maybe you got a favorite teacher and a favorite coach. Maybe if you're a little bit older starting to work, do you have a favorite boss? I know they're a little harder to come by, but do you have a a favorite boss out there. How about, how about this? How about a favorite president in your lifetime? Not just in history, but a favorite president in your lifetime. Do you have a couple of faces in mind right now? Okay, so now here's the question I want you to answer about that teacher, that coach, that boss, president. What was it about them that made them your favorite? What did they do that made them your favorite teacher, coach, president, Okay, because what you're thinking right now is called government. Under their government, under their management, you flourished. I mean, when they were your teacher, you were, you were absolutely, you just loved learning and you were learning and you thrived under their coaching. It just seemed like you had more and more opportunity. That boss always made sure you were in the right, you had the right assignment, the right job. He seemed like he was watching out for you under that president. Man, I prospered and I was just given a chance to live and just do life. What we, what we love about a government, what makes it our favorite government is when I can thrive, when I can prosper, when I can have my, my best opportunity. That's, that's what we mean here when we talk about government. Under the leadership, under the management, under the government of this person. And in a scriptural sense, to thrive in the image of God. To thrive and live in the spirit-filled life, the new life that Jesus Christ has for me. Now let's, let's come back. Now that we've got an idea of government. We're thinking about government in a little bit different way right now. Let's, let's come back to our passage. Now we're being in Isaiah. This is 700 years before. This is prophecy. What this is not prophesying is a child king. This verse isn't a prophecy that a, a child is going to become king. That, that probably doesn't matter to you and me that much. But it, in this world, in the ancient world, it was, I wouldn't say it was common, but it wasn't not common for an eight-year-old to ascend the throne. <laughs> I mean, that, that happened. It, it happened quite a bit. That's not what this is. This is not a prophecy that this baby, this child, will be king as a child. The issue is not the age at which he sits on the throne. The issue is that he'll sit on that throne for all eternity. And I love this phrase. I kind of refer to it. Of his increase, there will be no end. I mean, you think this, this verse is being written during the Babylonian Empire. It's going to come to fruition during the Roman Empire. I mean, these are two of world history's great and large and powerful empires. They are empires that lasted for centuries other than the fact that they ended because everything ends even our favorite teacher ends, right? I mean, at some point you have to leave third grade. You just can't stay there forever. It, it always ends. Not, no, this, this has no borders. It, it, it will go beyond the Roman Empire. It, well, really, let's just cut to the chase. It'll go beyond the earth. The earth is not a boundary, the earth is not a stopping point for this king's government. This, this king's government will go throughout the universe. There's no physical limit. There's no physical place that it stops. 
Well, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? There's nowhere you can go where this government ends. Think about some of the governments of of this world, how big they've been, how powerful they've been. But there was always a stopping place. I'm, I'm guessing folks in China could give a rip snort about the Roman Empire during those years. You know, there's always a place. Not with this one. It, it, it will go on and on. There's no physical stop. Now, let's think a little bit about what kind of government this will be that goes on and on. I mean, we think we, again, we've been thinking a lot about government, right? We, we just elected a government. And right now, about half America thinks it lost. And about half America thinks it's won. One lost what? I, I won the government I wanted. I lost the government I, I wanted. And when we think about that, now here's the good news or the bad news, whichever way you're coming at this, it's going to end. It always ends. That's not saying it's irrelevant. It, it doesn't take very long for a government to have a radical impact, a life-changing impact on our lives, but it always ends. They die, they get conquered, they change, they get defeated, they move on. It always ends, which is why it's so profound here that we have a government of an increase that never ends because it's not just the space that has no border. Time has no border. This government will go on forevermore. There's no stopping place in the physical realm in space, and there's no stopping place in time forevermore. And I love this phrase, and the zeal of the Lord, the passion of God is what guarantees this government has no place it stops. Now, what kind of government is it? Three words are given to us here, peace, justice, and righteousness. Let's think real quickly about each of those three words. Peace, justice, and righteousness. Under him, under this child's government, there will be peace. There is nowhere in this government where there's a lack of peace. There's no threat. There's no attack. There's no disagreement. There's no angst. There's no tension. There's no verses. There's never a this versus this, this idea versus this. There's never a versus under this government. It is complete peace. Do you know why? Because it's managed, it's governed with absolute justice. Every word, every thought, every action of this child will be one that is right and good and fair by everyone. Right and good and fair by all people. There's nobody. There's not a single person that is left out of this idea. There's no big place. There's no small place. There's no public place. There's no private place where anyone will ever have a reason to say that's not fair. Never anywhere at any time will there be something that's not fair. It's probably impossible for us to manage such a place. Somebody's always left out. Not in this government. It's increase. See, it's not just that it's big. It's increase. Everything being just for everyone has no boundary. Because it is righteous. Every thought, every word, every deed of this king is right by God. And right by humanity. It is peace. It is just it is righteous. Man, that's a, I, 
I want to be a part of that government. How about you? You, you know, actually, there's always been, I, I, I think, running throughout history an idea, and it's certainly running in America. I think some of it we've observed on TV. There, there's an, actually an idea of no government. No, no government at all. I, why do I need a, a governor? Why do I need somebody governing my, my life? I, I, don't, I don't want a good one or a bad one. I just, I just want to govern myself. No, no, go, live and let live, right? Live and let live. I'm going to make a statement here. I wish I had more time to develop it, but it's the absolute truth. You and I are better off under the worst government this world has ever seen than we are under no government. Under the worst government that's ever been seen in world history, at least you know where the tyranny is. Under no government, you don't ever step anywhere that the tyranny is not. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes never becomes. It doesn't become a good thing inside a single household. There's no such thing as it ever working out for good. Now, when you say, when I say we're better off under the worst government, folks, I'm acknowledging hundreds of millions of people, maybe well over a billion, have lost their lives directly due to a government. And almost everybody in humanity has been touched somewhere, somehow, maybe a little, maybe a lot, by injustices and wrongs of government. We need it, but boy, we can sure mess it up and do it bad. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, so now when you get your Christmas card this year and you see the, the little glowing light in the manger and you see the child in the manger, when you look down at that, know this. That's God's answer to government. That's God's answer to our inability to rightly, justly, fairly, peacefully govern ourselves, the individual, or a whole nation. The child is the answer. Now, if you have been around the heights much this year, you know that we've spent the bulk of this year studying the second coming of Jesus. In the second coming is when he sets up this kingdom. This kingdom that we're talking about, what Jesus is going to do, get set up, this, this reign of peace and justice and righteousness, get set up when he comes the second time. To, I don't know about you, but it leaves me asking, well, Lord, is there any, any chance you could have done this the first time around? Sure seems like that saved a lot of heartache. <laughs> you, know, you know why Jesus didn't set this up the first time around? Because you, and I, I, don't, I rarely point and I rarely say you, <laughs> you are not a person of peace. You're not a person of justice, and you are not righteous. You are what this kingdom needs to conquer. You are what this kingdom needs to defeat. You may have helped two people get along sometime in your life, made peace. 
But you've done more things than you can even keep up with that have caused something much less than peace in somebody else's life. I imagine everybody in this room, everybody watching online, you've done lots of good things and right things by others. You've done more things than you can even fathom that are unfair and not right and have made life difficult for somebody else. And under no definition are you righteous. You do not belong in this kingdom. But God loves you. God actually wants you to be in this kingdom. As a matter of fact, what the New Testament says is God wants you to be a citizen of this kingdom. Jesus will come a second time to establish the kingdom. He came the first time to build its citizenship. He came the first time to build the citizenship that will populate this kingdom. You and I can't do it on our own. So he had to come do it for Think of those three words, peace, justice, and righteousness. Do you know the New Testament communicates that it is by the blood of Jesus that those three words are accomplished in your life and in my life? My peace, my justice, my chance to stand before God in righteousness is by the blood of Jesus. You know what the path to citizenship is? Right through Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. Let me say that a little bit differently. I am the way of God. I am the truth of God. I am the life of God. There is no access. There is no door. There is no form to fill out. There is no way to the Father. There is no way to this kingdom except through me. Have you gone through Jesus? See, he has a government that actually wants to create by his blood peace and justice and righteousness inside you, first and foremost. And then we'll get about the business of managing a kingdom of whose increase, time, and space will never see an end. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't know about y'all. I'm... I'm excited to spend four more weeks in this verse. I'm excited to come back and look at each one of these titles and what they specifically mean to who you are, to where you are, to what you've been through, to where you're going, because God knows. God knows where we're tearing ourselves up, where we're tearing each other up, and and he has an answer. You realize in every problem you've ever dealt with, you know what God's saying in this verse? I want you to know my son. He can carry it on his shoulder. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for carrying my sin on your shoulders. Carrying my sin on your shoulders in the form of a cross. I can say I am so thankful for your blood when I can fathom so little what it accomplishes for me, for a family, for an entire nation, for an entire world. By your blood will peace and justice and righteousness be found. Lord, I would 
I would pray for our church and our families. God, I would pray for our nation that this Christmas season, every home, every life finds you. Every home, every life sees that little glow on the front of the Christmas card in the manger and realizes that's God's answer. Oh, Lord, I I would ask that you would bless this verse in each of our hearts and lives. I, I pray we wonderfully come to know and understand what a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an eternal father, a prince of peace, what those words are, what they mean in my life. And I would pray we can each deeply experience them. And it will inspire in us a greater devotion and commitment to to repentance, to obedience, and to faith like never before. Oh, Lord, may I never get over. May we never get over. Heaven sent us its child. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.